So today we begin a five-week sermon series where we're going to focus on some of the cliches that we hear and sometimes even use that many of us think are biblical truths, but they're really not. They're half-true at best. So we're going to spend the next weeks exploring these half-truths so that we can better understand exactly what the implications of each of them is so that we can learn what the Bible actually has to say as it relates to these various cliches, and so that we can think through together what it is we actually mean to say and talk about how we might better articulate that. On the back of your bulletin, you'll notice a place where you can keep notes. You may find it helpful to jot down a few things over the next couple of weeks. Today's cliche is, everything happens for a reason. Some of us may be thinking, and? What's wrong with that? That's in the Bible, right? Y'all, just so you know, there's absolutely no judgment here. I know that we have all, including myself, thought some of the cliches we'll be exploring over the next few weeks, and some of us have used them. When we say them, we generally mean well. I mean, in the case of this particular saying, Oftentimes, we use this cliche to speak to a person who's in the middle of a hard time, somebody who's suffering, somebody who is hurting, and we mean to comfort them. The trouble is that sometimes that's not the way they hear it. Sometimes it's the exact opposite of comfort. So we need to take a little bit deeper look at what it is that we're actually saying and why. Let's watch this little minute and a half long video, it's actually sort of a lighthearted view at some of the implications of this particular cliche. Hey, Rumi, what's up? Dude, you're not going to believe what happened to me. Tell me what happened. Okay, so for Christmas this year, my mom decided to go with clothes, mm. and she got me a sweater. It's, I mean, it's a nice sweater, $100 sweater. I went and returned it, and they actually gave me $200 back. Nice, man. The guy in the sky is looking out for you. I mean, it was a mistake, and I was going to tell him about it, but I figure, I mean, why not? Why? Everything happens for a reason, right? Dude, why did you ask out Lindsay? I told you that I wanted to take her to dinner. I mean, man, it just wasn't in God's will for you to go out with her. But me, however, I mean, everything happens for a reason? You left your laundry in the washer again. I thought we were doing mustaches this month. Dude, I thought you were gonna change the litter box yesterday. Dude, you were late getting here today. What what took you so long? I mean, everything does happen for a reason. That hat's kind of out of style. They, you know, they lost the World Series. It's kind of... Look, it just wasn't in God's plan this year for them to win. Mm. How many times do I have to tell you, you forgot to get toilet paper again, and I was left stranded in the bathroom? I mean, man, that sounds like will of God. that's a little bit exaggerated, but I think you get the general idea. It's easy to imply things that we don't actually mean to say when we use some of these cliches. Now, if what we mean when we say everything happens for a reason is that we live in a world of cause and effect, then we're making a true statement because we do. I mean, if I push this lectern hard enough, it'll absolutely fall over. Y'all are able to hear me this morning, even way back in the back of the sanctuary, because I chose to put on my microphone this morning. The batteries are charged. I turned it on. 
And the lovely Bressie in the back is choosing not to mute me at this particular moment. <laughs> Got ahead of myself. Um, Moses, in the reading that we just heard from Deuteronomy, is talking about this sort of cause and effect reality as he addresses the Israelites. They are standing on the threshold of the promised land. And Moses is talking to the people. He's saying, y'all, listen, we have been through a lot. We've traveled for a very long time through the wilderness. We've experienced our ups and downs. And it's my hope that we have all learned something from this. But before we go into the promised land and fully claim God's promises, let's just do a little review, okay? See, Moses knew that he was not going to be entering the promised land with the Israelites. And personally, I think he was a little bit concerned because they had proven to be a very obstinate and defiant group of people. So he reviews the Ten Commandments with them. He goes through the book of the law and he says, look, here's what I hope you've learned. If you seek God's way, if you trust God, if you obey God's rules, everything's going to be okay. And remember, above all else, to love God with everything in you. Let your love for God be your guiding light. And things should go pretty well. He was reminding them that there are consequences to your actions. And he thought that it might serve them really well to remember that as they entered the promised land. But generally speaking, when we say everything happens for a reason, we're not affirming that we live in a cause and effect world. What we mean oftentimes is that everything that happens is meant to be. And even though it might not appear like a good thing, there is some good purpose for it, at least in a cosmic sense. It's just that we can't fully understand it right now or comprehend it. In fact, we might not understand it at all in this lifetime. Other ways that we might hear the exact same sentiment is, well, it was part of the plan. It must have been God's will. It was meant to be. Sometimes in the case of an untimely death, we say, it must have been their time. Y'all, I've talked to people who are living with a cancer diagnosis who have heard this particular cliche, and it sent them into a tailspin. I mean, they began wondering all kinds of things, asking all kinds of questions, things like, did I do something to cause this? Did God give me cancer to teach me some kind of lesson? Is this because it's supposed to bring my family closer together? I mean, what? What is the reason? And what reason could possibly justify such a horrible circumstance? What kind of God does that? I've been in conversation with people suffering all sorts of tragedies who have ended up suffering a deep crisis of faith because of this particular notion. Now, aside from the fact that we can't actually harm people without meaning to when we say everything happens for a reason, there are, there are some other challenges 
with this particular thought as well. I mean, first of all, it eliminates personal responsibility for our actions. When we say everything happens for a reason with the implication that it's God who makes everything happen, we're no longer responsible. I mean, a drunk driver plows into a car full of teenagers. It happened for a reason? To somehow serve God's higher purpose? Is that what we really believe? Second of all, it's really just the converse of the first one. It makes God responsible for everyone's actions. And then what do we do with free will? I mean, what was that that we learned in the garden in Genesis? All that stuff about the forbidden fruit? I mean, do we have free will or do we not? Third of all, it can lead to a sense of fatalism or indifference. Take Calvin. Calvin says, I've decided to be a fatalist. All events are preordained and unalterable. Whatever will be, will be. That way, if anything bad happens, it is not my fault. It's fate. Cal- or Hobbes trips him. Too bad. You were fated to that. <laughs> Calvin, of course, says, that wasn't fate. If everything happens for a reason, if God causes all things to happen to serve God's purpose and we don't actually have freedom, then what's the point? I mean, why get up and go to work in the morning? Why bother to eat healthy and exercise for crying out loud? I mean, if I'm going to have heart disease, I guess I'm going to have heart disease. Kids, why go to school? Why bother studying for that test? Exactly, right? I mean, if you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to be a greeter at Walmart, that's what you're going to be, right? I'd stay home if I were you. I don't mean that. (laughs) I mean, if everything happens for a reason in the way that we are implying it, why are we collecting money for for the people who have suffered from Harvey? Why are we building flood buckets? Why are we praying right now for Florida? The die is cast, right? Saying everything happens for a reason also lets us off the hook from a theological perspective. I mean, we don't have to wrestle with those difficult theological questions. We can easily explain away why it is that pain and suffering exist. We don't have to wrestle with tough theological concepts like God's providence or God's sovereignty. Two theological concepts that are key to this particular cliche. Providence is a noun that's very closely related to the verb provide. Typically, providence refers to God's provision or governance over the cosmos. It speaks to the idea or the belief that God superintends the universe and oversees everything that happens. Sovereignty, on the other hand, expresses the idea of authority or rule. I mean, we believe that God is the highest authority. These two concepts, though, are interpreted in a variety of ways, leading to 
couple of different extremes from those who interpret it to mean that God is a micromanager all the way to the other extreme that says God's an absentee landlord. John Calvin, who was very influential during the Protestant Reformation, he took the idea of God's sovereignty to the extreme that argued that God was a micromanager. In his defense, Calvin was reacting to some of the extreme works righteousness that was, uh, that was present in the Roman Catholic Church of that time that was evidenced in many of their practices, practices that um, insisted that you had to work really hard to be forgiven and to be fully accepted by God. You had to do things like confess to a priest. You had to um, perform acts of contrition, and you had to, in some cases, in that time frame, you were strongly encouraged to purchase indulgences, indulgences so that you could be forgiven. Protestants, beginning with Martin Luther, insisted that it was God's grace alone that saves us, which isn't a bad notion. However, the extreme to which Calvin took it led to theological determinism, which says that God must will or cause every single thing that happens, or it compromises on God's sovereignty. Calvin took this to such an extreme that he even made the claim that God preordained everything that happens, even whether or not we were going to receive salvation. He even said that before we were even born, God had predetermined whether or not we were going to accept salvation or be damned forever. And believe it or not, this was actually kind of a comforting thought to some people at that time, because in a world that seemed very scary and uncertain, it provided some measure of certainty. Then there are those who understand God as an absentee landlord. Many of our founding fathers in the 18th century were of this opinion. They were deists. Deism says that God created all things, set the laws of nature in motion, gave humans dominion over the earth, gave us free will, and then stepped away. And ever since then, we've been on autopilot. Now, the problem with this particular notion is that it makes absolutely no room for God to be active and at work in our lives, which calls into question a lot of the stories in the Bible. Take, for example, the Exodus, where God intervenes and saves the Israelites from Egyptian oppression. Take, for example, how God is reported to have spoken through all the prophets. That's a means of intervening. Probably the most dramatic of all is God sending Jesus. None of these would be consistent with the, with the notion of a deist position. Now, John Wesley, the man who founded Methodism, he also lived in the 18th century, and he was vehemently opposed to both theological determinism and deism. He affirmed the idea that we are saved by God's grace alone, but rejecting determinism, he insisted that God wills all of humanity to be saved. 
And rejecting deism, he affirmed that through provenient grace, God is always and already drawing us to God and giving us the means by which we can accept the grace God offers. So see, here's the deal. Because God is fully sovereign, the highest authority, God is also supremely free to do whatever God wills. So in God's sovereignty, God is free and chooses to offer us dominion over the earth and the ability to choose. Deuteronomy, the story we read earlier, affirms this notion. Genesis, creation story, affirms that idea. And the parable that Jesus tells, if you remember, about the landlord whose tenants are wicked and choose to abuse all the gifts given them, that's evidence of this idea. God chooses to give humanity free will, and we sometimes make poor choices. And when we do, oftentimes there are consequences. There's a meme that you can find on Facebook that articulates this idea pretty well. Everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and you make bad decisions. Sometimes that's me. And then to compound this particular problem, I'm not the only person on the planet who has free will. You get to make choices. 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 So even if I'm doing all the right things, even if I'm making good choices, I might get in the way of your bad choices. This past Tuesday, I was driving down the road, minding my own business. My hands were on 10 and 2. I was going the speed limit. I was tracking traffic around me, being a good little defensive driver. I was entering an intersection. The light was green. It was my right-of-way. So I head through the intersection. Halfway through, somebody decides to run the red light, coming the other way, They must have been going 70 miles an hour. At least it felt that way to me. I slammed on brakes and thank the good Lord Jesus. They barely missed me, but I was trembling for the next 15 minutes. I mean, just that much time. And I would have been the victim of somebody else's lapse of judgment. Y'all, God gives us a heart. God gives us a brain, a conscience, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Scripture, the ability to interpret Scripture, and through prayer, God gives us a means through which we can make decent decisions. Romans, Paul in Romans, um, gets at this a little bit. He says, We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to God's purpose. We know this because God knew them in advance, and God decided in advance that they would be conformed to the image of God's Son. That way, God's Son would be the first of many brothers and sisters. Those who God decided in advance would be conformed to God's Son, God also called. Those whom God called, God also made righteous. Those whom God made righteous, God also glorified. Now, when you read these verses, which we hear a lot, Initially, it sounds like it's affirming this idea of everything happens for a reason and God makes everything happen and there's some good purpose. 
But if you back up a couple of verses and read the context in which Paul is writing or what he's responding to, he's actually, he's actually extending thought about what it means to pray with the Spirit for the purpose of determining God's will. Verse 26 says, In the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because the Spirit pleads for the saints, consistent with God's will. Which leads to the bottom line. God is neither a micromanager, nor is God an absentee landlord. But God is a God who gives us freedom to make choices and sometimes even to take risks. God doesn't cause tragedy, but God can use it. God can work directly and supernaturally, though most often, God seems to work indirectly through people to bend pain and suffering, to bend evil toward God's good purposes. We experience this most powerfully in the story of the resurrection. In the week leading up to his death, Jesus experienced incredible suffering, incredible pain, physically, emotionally, spiritually, deep pain that eventually led to his very painful and humiliating crucifixion. But God, who is a God who participates fully in life with us, gathered up all of Jesus' experience, and in God's self, bent that toward God's good purpose that all of us would know that suffering and pain and even death do not have the last word. They don't win. Life wins. God's eternal life hold us firmly in God's grasp. Amen.